Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. All right, I have a great honor to be talking with uh, Conrad Edgery, and um, I want to welcome him to the uh, Spectrum Conversation about Adventist Voices. Welcome, Conrad. Thanks, Alex. Is it Alex or Alexandra? Uh, Alex is fine. Alex, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. Sure. I'm going to talk, a, I'll write and share about your biography, but um, it's incredible what you're doing as an artist, and congratulations on your um your exhibition in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to talk a little bit about your biography first, but before we get into that, can you just talk about what it was like to uh, be involved with this uh, gallery in um, uh, San Francisco? Right. So the gallery, I think I first met them through uh, uh, the, the owner of the gallery had parents who lived in Michigan and she was, uh, she had some ties to Detroit. This is where I went to school. So during my second year of Cranbrook, I won the Cranbrook Museum uh, Acquisition Award. This is uh, an award that is given to uh, a best of the show and a thesis uh, uh, yearly program. I had my painting in the vault of the museum. The galleries came by. Her name is Jessica Silverman. Uh, she saw the piece and she was very engaging in it. Uh, she gave me a call and, you know, we hit it up from there. So this was last year of t- uh, 2018. And uh, we set the date for uh, May this year. And uh, it's, it's been a ride and it's been a great, great uh, collaboration so far. Oh, that's great. Well, congratulations on that. I know as a artist coming out of grad school, um, those sort of encounters are, are really affirming and right. uh, fun sometimes. So I hope it's a fun experience for you. So let's jump into your biography. This is a chance for you to kind of talk about uh, uh, yourself. Um, your work is so connected to um, history and identity. And um, I'd love for you to just talk about kind of where you grew up and um, and how you connect to Adventism. Right. So I was born and raised in Ghana, West Africa. Normally people confuse Ghana for Guyana, which I think is in South America. So Ghana shares borders with uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, Togo, and so forth. Uh, And I was born in 1989 uh, in a very Christian household. Uh, My dad was a Pentecostal. My mom's side of the family was a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, And then I moved to the States. Uh, in 2008, my parents were already here before my dad, 30 years before my mom, 20 years uh, before. And then I came with my siblings 10 years ago. Uh, So I've also spent like 10 years in the States now and haven't been back home since, but uh, it's, 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 it's been, it's been a journey trying to figure out or like carve out an identity, you know, being from a place that was very religious and spiritual and uh, into like an environment that was very uh, liberal, uh, uh, very well, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Very open to like many different lifestyles, you know, but yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Was there, was there a sense of kind of, so 
let's talk a little bit about growing up there before we jump into the 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 kind of change that occurred in, for you in America. Um, can you just describe kind of growing up with an Adventist mother? Or what was your what sort of um, images did you grow up around in Ghana? Uh, it was a very bittersweet experience, given that uh, everything in Ghana, or like you know, the livelihood, or how people lived uh, uh, from their day-to-day experiences, was like deeply rooted in, in spirituality. Everything from from the food they ate, the way they dressed, uh, uh, the way they practiced uh, their funeral rites, or. Uh, Politics, everything was deeply rooted in spirituality. So, uh, my mom wasn't a Seventh Day Adventist when I was born. She actually became a Pentecostal to attend church with my dad, but her family was still Seventh Day Adventist. And her grandparents were part of uh, uh, a group of people that planted a lot of Seventh Day Adventist churches all around Southern Ghana and I think all the way a little up into the north, in the northern regions of Ghana. So, okay, yeah, interesting. I was born into the Pentecostal church. Pentecostal church until my dad and mom left for the States. So I had to go live with uh, my relatives, my auntie precisely. Uh, and she was on my mom's side. So I think that was around when I was seven years old. So seven years in, in the Pentecostal church, you know, they speak in tongues, the, they believe in like these uh, uh, fire and brimstone sort of a, a judgment, judgment day stuff. Uh, and then that was very polarizing experience in the Seventh Adventist Church. Uh during my teen years living with my auntie. Uh obviously no speaking in tongues, uh seven day Sabbath, uh, uh, uh weekly cycle, uh no music, no jumping around, no no clapping necessarily. Everything was very peaceful and calm. Uh <laughs> but then that that was that was also this this is where things became better sweet when I came to the States because my parents resented the fact that I had to live with my auntie and my mom's side of the family, you know, being that we were Seventh-day Adventists. Of course, my dad's father was also one of the pioneering political figures in the Pentecostal church. Uh, his his partner, I think he worked with James McKeon, who was the founder of the Pentecostal church. He was an Irishman, a missionary who came to Ghana and then uh, he and my grand my granddad uh, with a group of other people have also helped planted like a, a number of churches around and now it has become one of the most biggest multi I want to say million dollar church that also has branches in the states too. So you can imagine my dad working in my dad's in his dad's footsteps and then he also wanted me to work in his footsteps, uh, just like following in the church tradition. And then uh, you can also expect to uh, 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 see the same sort of you know, expectations from my Seventh-day Adventist side. Uh, so here I am in the middle trying to figure out, you know, uh, uh, which path is the right path or do I even subscribe, you know, to either of, of these two uh, uh, channels or, you know, do I carve out my own way of, you know, uh, connection to God, you know. So, like, there, there's been, like, a whole lot of struggle and, and uh, upturns in the relationship with my parents and, you know, these two churches, but, yeah. That's great. Uh, not that you have the struggle, but just because I feel like your work is so full of tension and I and it seems like so much of your life has been negotiating these different ways of um, connecting to family and God and spirituality. Um, what's that like for you? How do you – what's been a – how do you 
how do you process that or think about it? What's been, what's given you some success? Hmm. Uh, that's, that's a very tough question. It's just, I think that's something I'm still trying to uh, figure out and answer for my own. Uh, I think it, it basically boils down to this whole point of salvation, you know, uh, given that once upon a time, you know, uh, the, the West Coast of Africa had had its own way of, of uh of living their spiritual lifestyle until the missionaries came through, colonization came through, all practices were demonized, and like people started subscribing to the the Western culture of you know of of, of uh, getting closer to God, which is like basically Christianity. Uh, not that I question, I question like this practice in per se, but I do I do question how how people went about it or how the whole transatlantic slave trade uh, and the decolonization, you know, uh, uh, process uh, went through. But it's uh, it's 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 been it's been I wouldn't say just necessarily bittersweet most of the time. It's it's been an experience also like learning how to get closer to God on my own, and then picking picking parts from these different sections. Uh, uh, whether it's the Seventh Adventist Church, whether it's the Pentecostal Church, and I also went to a Catholic school uh, growing up uh, in in Ghana. So. Like just picking oh. up all these different themes and also being in the stage and like, you know, understanding how people live their lives and uh, just picking up different parts and trying to figure out how to weave my own uh, narrative uh, through the structure. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'll still say I am a, an Adventist here and there. I still believe, you know, in the Sabbath. I, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I still send my tithes to, to Ghana, to the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Ghana. So, yeah. It's still like a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. Is there um, something, maybe, what's one of your favorite things about um, your kind of p- connection to Pentecostalism? And what's one of your favorite things about your connection to Adventism? Uh, I'm just curious, what what do you hold on to? I would most? say the, the, liv- the liveliness on the Pentecostal part. You know, like, it, it's one of those reasons why mostly uh, the word soul is attributed to, to the black culture, you know. Like, there's always this... There's this 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 level of flamboyance and praises and worship, uh, the clapping, the jumping, the the, you know, I w- almost close to the point of like I wouldn't say exaggeration, but you know, being extra uh, in, in pretty much you know yeah. uh, worship or praise uh, sessions. And uh, with the Seventh Day Adventist side, it's also like that that the calmness. I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but like as an artist, like I I, I often need that balance of uh, the the. The vibrance and and the, the dullness or the, the chaos and the order uh, uh the seventh day adventist lifestyle is, it was very one of uh tranquility uh serenity uh they lived a very healthy lifestyle the diet was great uh, uh they believed in the sabbath strictly uh taking you know taking a rest uh, a weekly was was something very uh, something to like resonate with uh but then, like you know, when you're on the Pentecostal side, like every day counts. Like you know, there's no, there's there isn't necessarily like, like a Sabbath day. You don't get to take a rest uh, off of work or you know something like that. So that's great. Yeah, um, I've uh, attended um, a few Pentecostal services um, and many Adventist services, and they're both different. But I I feel like you've described mm-hmm. um, kind of highlights of both of them really well. They totally resonate with. Um, my feelings as well. Sometimes Adventists can seem very boring once you've hung out with uh, charismatic people. Sometimes, not all the time. Yeah. (laughs) So let's jump into uh, your time uh, in America. You have um, been kind of in the upper Midwest. Is that where you kind of came to when you first came 
here or did you uh, kind of no it was pretty straight and direct to the midwest though. i was living in uh, uh, illinois for a while i did my undergrad there, and then after school after undergrad i uh applied for a master's degree in uh in michigan too this is cranbrook so it's been pretty much the midwest battle travel here and there to the east coast west coast for like art related stuff okay um so let's talk about your art practice um did you always find yourself drawn to uh, creating visually? Yes, from a very little age. I think uh, the first like I remember was when I was five years old uh, because I wasn't very good at reading and writing. Uh, like, so drawing and visual imagery was like the only way I could like communicate or understand, uh, uh, you know, uh, culture. And I remember when I came to the States, uh, it was a huge culture shock. So uh, I was trying to, I was trying very hard to assimilate into the culture and my only way around it, instead of reading, was to just like binge watch like 500, 500 movies in the span of like five months. I was at home, like living an anti-social life, just picking up on wow. every movie I could watch, you know, picking up on the accents. I think I, st- I still do have an accent. It comes up on it once in a while, like maybe when I'm angry or like when I'm, you know, uh, having different mood swings. But yeah, so 500 movies in the span of five months, uh, being antisocial, being at home, just like just watching and picking up on all these like different uh, uh, aspects of like, you know, the Western culture. Uh, it, was, it was some fun times. But yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it was also a little painful at times. Um, could, would you mind just talking about that culture shock? Uh, you You mentioned a little bit of that before you use the term liberalism or openness how is that um coming you know um seeing how americans lived how american christians um lived and comparing that to how you grew up or what you heard about america right i mean i think back home like I, I mean, in hindsight, I do believe that the way I, I would say the way that we were raised was very, you know, to be very critical of how we lived our lives here on Earth, because everyone was thinking about the afterlife. And in, in that and in that end, everyone became, uh, I would say, maybe unconsciously judgmental to like how everyone else lived their life. Like if it wasn't if it wasn't in like alignment to what they personally believed, what was right or wrong, uh Everything was very, you know, like I was saying earlier, very spiritual. Uh, even uh, uh, the funeral rites, uh, the way people ate, uh, the, the culture, uh, the norms, the politics, everything was just like deeply rooted in spirituality. You know, like there was this right or there was this right and wrong with no middle ground. And then coming to the States where, you know, it was deemed as like uh, 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 a second kind of heaven, you know, like people migrated all the way and still do, you know, from West Africa, Ghana in particular, to the States for greener pastures. Like you know, thinking about this, this as some sort of a, a heavenly kingdom, and then to come here and see how open and liberal people were, free of judgment, and uh, I mean, there are pockets of that, and maybe I want to say like the Southern Belt or like different parts of the state, but to 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 witness that level of openness was very interesting, and I think this was the first place where I learned of the word atheist. I never heard that back home in, uh, in my twenty years of living in in Africa. Yeah, really. So. And, and what did that mean to you for someone to to not believe in God at all? <sighs> like, do you remember how that uh, kind of shocked you at first? I I, it, it, I wasn't 
I mean, I, I think I was I was also like judgmental because you know I'm I'm coming from a very deeply rooted spiritual continent, so that was very jaw dropping. That was simply like, okay, let me let me figure out where people are coming from, right? Uh, and this is something I also picked up in school in undergrad, where I had a, and it was a Christian school too, but I had some friends who necessarily were not part of the the, uh, the Christian Bible, even though they attended the Christian school, and 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 given that I was friends with them, I had to also like understand where they were coming from with their own lifestyles. And with that, I also had to learn a lot about Africa more more so than I did when I was back home because uh, of the internet, you know, it was very easily accessible here. So like I started researching about different practices, like religious practices, spiritual based systems. Uh, and I also like, learned more about the, the African slave trade uh, and how religion was brought to Africa uh, and West Africa in particular. Uh, so it was like a very jaw-dropping ex- experience. You know, I, I was questioning my own beliefs uh, uh, back in the day as well. It's like when you stumble upon facts about how black people or slaves back in the day had to sit in the same churches that their masters created for them. You know, you you, you were worshiping and praising, praising the same God who yeah. who apparently was... Uh, was in favor of like this whole slavery system based on what you know the masters told you uh, was or wasn't. Uh, it was a very contradictory. Uh, uh, I don't know. Learning care for me, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still and also uh, undergrad and grad school has been that level of uh, you know experience where I have many friends and many you know uh, mentors and professors uh, who have who have a different way of like you know expressing expressing. Artistically, you know, the the way around maneuvering this 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 uh, the life that they live in, you know. Americans uh, are also still um, kind of processing, and and many are, you know, to do not really understand or understand at a very superficial level the you know the connections between America, Africa, West African right. slave trade and Christianity. So I think that the journey that you're on is a journey that I think um, more Americans need to be on because I think as some great writers have pointed out the the slave mm-hmm. trade was mm-hmm. America's original sin. Um, to put it into religious terms, that it's something that, you know, kind of kicked things off, um, that so much of our economic system is based on um, our social um, system as well. And yet most people are pretty ignorant of it, either willfully or just because it's too difficult for for people to really wrap their heads around. And I wouldn't wouldn't also say just ignorant here in the States, but also back home, uh, because, you know, like I said earlier, I learned all about these things when I was here in the States. You know, I learned more about Africa in the 10 years that I've been in the States than the 20 years I I was in Africa, which is very ironic. We we hardly learned. I mean, think about it. We were colonized by the British. We gained our independence in 1957. Uh, Most of the educational system, like in literature, that the whole school goes through is basically European-based very Eurocentric. I mean, things are changing now. I haven't been at home in 10 years, so I can speak to the past 10 years. But from, my, from, from what I knew back then, it was basically Eurocentric. Uh, uh, the math system, the English, the writing, the, uh, the religious studies, the, the social studies, uh, you know, you, you, you could get punished and like, you know, penalized for even speaking your own language during, during school sessions, you know. We were colonized by the British, so we spoke English, so English is the official language. The countries next to us were all colonized by the French, so they all spoke French. Yeah. Togo, Burkina Faso, and Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, there are two countries in between 
between Ghana and Nigeria, but we have more connections to Nigeria because Nigeria is also a, uh, an English-speaking country, and that is very sad and ironic that we don't have connections to the two countries in between the in between us because they speak French, but we have a connection to the country three doors away because they speak English. Uh, so, like learning about all these things, like learning how to like decolonize our minds back home, it's, it's, it's been a journey not for. Not for, not for just maybe like the people in the States, but also like people in Africa too, because I think the damage was done on both sides. Uh, so I didn't, even like in the Seventh-day Adventist church, like we hardly talked about, about slave trade back then. I don't know how, how things are being resolved now in terms of like reconciliations with, uh, and here, here in the States, in terms of like the Adventist language. It's the same. Uh, it's not talked about. And the connections between missionaries and colonialism is barely understood i would say it's uh and if it is it's at a superficial level mm-hmm. missionaries are still thought of as sort of angels sent from god right, right. and you know i'm not impugning folks motives but the system was connected as you know with uh kind of right. uh, at least from adventism from american and european colonialism so i don't think that we're we've really i don't think our That's leaders true. have really processed um, that, but I think your artwork is, um, uh, and you know, is pushing folks yes, to really yes. confront that. So, do you mind if we talk about your artwork? I know that um, you know you put it out there as sort of a visual experience, but um, I would love for you to just kind of talk about. I mean, what you're doing with bringing together portraiture and um, and really interesting writing. Um, can you just talk about how you mix faces and text and, and why you do that, how you got into doing that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I always believed like, you know, imagery wasn't enough uh, because when you think about how images have always been used as like some sort of uh, uh, instrument or like a, a, a weapon to control the masses, uh, uh, in, in particular, you, 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 you hardly find any black home or black church back home with a true depiction of, you know, say Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's all white. And the, mom, the, moment you, the moment you change that, you just like put up a big fight with like whoever's household or church that is, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, all, all, all the movies and like, you know, uh, Disney channels we were watching back home, you know, back in the day or like when I was living there were mostly white. We had like little to no cartoons or like movies of our, of our own that were Afrocentric, you know. So I, when I was growing up and when I came to the States, I started like understanding how these these images on these 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 uh, 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 media channels were used as a weapon to still program minds and like not just in Africa alone but like globally you know and when you think of uh, uh, advertising uh, uh, per se it also does that too so I I, I, I always I was, I was I was always interest, interested in how like images alone were not enough and like you know uh, uh, a complementary or like sub- supplementary text could like help you know maybe uh, redefine what like uh, uh, the, the meaning of uh, like a narrative uh, is you know versus it being def- dictated or defined pers- uh, specifically just by like one person you know like you always my my introduction of text also came from undergrad where I was using sim- symbolism from West Africa that like my my colleagues and peers like all often found hard to understand so like me using the words and text was an was some sort of way of like doing the homework for them you know just breaking things down a, a little bit because I was I was raised up in a culture that was very deep in uh, these uh, 
cryptic stories, you know, like it would take you 20 years to figure out like some of these parables that like our elders used to tell us about at campfire side when we were little kids, uh, very deep stuff. Uh, so like I, I'm always drawn to paintings and narratives that have a, like a very deep, deep, long lasting meaning behind them. And I, in doing that, I found out that most of my audience uh, found it often hard to understand, you know, what some of these meant. So uh, that is where, like, I started introducing uh, uh, the text, uh, the little icons, the symbolism, uh, the parables, the phrases, uh, the quotes, you know, to help alleviate that level of uh, uh, misunderstanding. Um, can you talk about why you named your show Ameliorations? Right. So, I mean, like the, yeah, the Google definition of ameliorate is like to make something better or something uns- unsatisfactory better, you know. And then growing up, growing up, I was very accustomed to seeing like images of like uh, people in West Africa who often lived in these uh, uh, very third world, fourth world, fifth world, whatever world uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, livelihoods, uh, very de- often deemed poor, deemed, deemed as savages, deemed as uh, uncivilized people. Uh, so thinking about ameliorations, I was just thinking about like a better way of seeing, like making something unpleasant that that is better, uh, bringing a different perspective from a West African background in an American context, you know, and, and bringing my audience into into this fold of like uh, seeing the West African life in a different way or the, even the Black American life in a different way. Um, yeah, I find it so interesting the way that you mix um, imagery together. Can you talk about some of the things that you – the the kind of reoccurring uh, rings or hand jewelry and clothing. What are what are some of the where do they come from um, and and what about them um, as a as a visual thing is interesting to you? Not just the symbolism and and the connection to culture, but what about the visual of it is or uh, why do you include it and and you know talk about something. For instance, the rings. Right. So all that comes from the Ashanta Kingdom. Uh, the Ashanta Kingdom also had a uh, an oral tradition uh, back there, but like they also had a very, which they still do, have a very strong visual way of, of, of communication, uh, mostly through Adinkra symbols, which often looks like the Egyptian hieroglyphics, or in terms of the, uh, uh, the sense of fashion, uh, very heavy on jewelry, very heavy on... Uh, uh, long robes as dresses, uh, and uh, the Ashanti kingdom still exists. Uh, it, it came from, I uh, think, modern day Mali, but it's it's present in Ghana right now, uh, and it's part of the Akan, A K A N, uh, 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 I would say, national ethnic group, which also spread into a little bit into Cote d'Ivoire, even though there's like a border between Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, the people there and in Ghana. Uh, so, like, this is the tradition I was raised and, and grew up in. Uh, the way big on these, uh, uh, this fashion sense. So, like, every ring was like designed to mean something. Every tribe, every clan, every family had their own, either a chair or stool that they sat on. Uh, uh, their, their wooden combs were very uh, distinctive. Their attires, their, their rings, their, their hairdos. Uh, it was a very visual presence. Uh, the, the color was rich. Uh, so, coming here. And for the past 10 years, uh, I, I missed out on that. Uh, so I found a way to introduce this element into my artwork to, to create this like connection uh, uh, to home, away from home, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about not just what people wear, but what they sit on as, as a kind of marker of identity. Do I understand yes. that? That's correct. And, and then you're using that to kind of connect your artwork that here that's kind of 
you know, taking place in an American context right. and right. connecting it back right. to this identity right. that was such 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 a part of your own identity right. to 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 some level of like a hybridity, uh, which is a term they used in you know uh, the articles given given people who are artists who have like different backgrounds and uh, who incorporate their different past experiences and different geographical settings into the new uh, place and uh, uh, time that they are in. Can you talk a little bit about what um, identity means to you as an artist, as you're thinking about living in one place with a variety of cultural signifiers and coming to another place where you are also trying to process. I mean, your anecdote about watching 500 Mm -hmm. movies just seems like a flood of visual culture that you're trying to, you know, you know, race to understand. But in that context, you're also then turning back to where you grew up and thinking about what that means in this new context. It seems like you're just going back and forth. Um, right, right. Hopefully not going crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a very hard one. And uh, I try, I try not to like box myself into like any category or label uh, because oftentimes when I want to try doing that, I found it very problematic in a sense that uh, I couldn't really settle down on any one particular, for example, you know, the seven day Adventist, uh, uh, versus the Pentecostal, uh, being a, a, a black American or, or versus being a, an African American, uh, people, you know, people, people find problems with like every label, uh, and the pros and cons, like having these labels on you, uh, uh systematically, you know, uh, uh, in, in, in the class system and the spiritual class system and the political class system and the uh, economic system. Uh, uh, so like, I think, I think it's a very big issue with, I wouldn't say most Black Americans, but most migrants who who have a hard time trying to assimilate and trying to like fit into the narrative like of what, of what this this level of American privilege privilege is, you know, like like how do you define yourself to get the most out of uh, uh, the system? Uh, so yeah. no, that, that that that's that's not the route I I try taking. I try to stay out like out of this whole identity thing, uh, you know. But I I am I am a Black African immigrant who comes from Ghana or, you know, and my name is Conan Edry. But other than that, I, I try not to, I wouldn't call myself like a black artist or a Christian artist or a Seventh-day Adventist artist or a Pentecostal artist or a West African artist. You know, it's, it's just my name uh, and I'm an artist. Yeah. Nice. Great. Um, can we talk a little bit about um, portraiture? Do you or do you base your work on live models um, always, or some, or um, how I would say ninety percent live models, uh, and ten percent of the time when I can't get a hold of these models, I end up using maybe images of them from the past uh, that they have, uh, you know, and I'll tweak things here and there. Uh, so. Uh, for the past couple of years, I've uh, built these relationships with uh, all my models and friends. So, uh, you know, I mean, back in school, I think I think how the, all this started was in undergrad. Uh, my first project, I had to come up with, uh, I had to meet this deadline. So I wanted to paint this uh, uh, these two little kids, but they were not available. And I had to come up with something quick. I think this was like Sunday. I procrastinated to the very, you know, to the very last minute. So the only thing I came up with was like painting myself uh, for that assignment, and I did it twice. So I painted two versions of me in the same same composition. Uh, I turned it in, uh, uh, you know, and it was a good. I thought it was a mistake, but I think I had a very positive feedback from uh, my peers and people. 
So back then, it was very hard to like come across models. So I was often using myself. But in in uh, grad school, it, it became more easy. Uh, I had a, like a, a bigger and wide pool of people to to choose from who were very understanding and very very good behind the camera. So it, it, it all it's all based on like the relationship I have with people, you know. Um, even though you had more access to models when you were there at, at Cranbrook, um, did you continue to do self portraiture? I did, I did, uh, and and this is how like I I I, I imagine every narrative that I try to come up with. I try and put myself in the shoes of like the the subject first before you know. So I'll do that, and then when I feel the need to like have another model sit in, I'll let that be be prime uh, be primary. But first of all, I try to put myself in every every composition to see how it works out before introducing new models into the scene. That's um. So interesting to me, um, the way that you're uh, so present in your work in a variety of ways. Can you talk about um, artists that you admire, um, both past and present? Are there any that you just sort of draw on or, or find yourself um, attracted to? Right. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think I think in this context, I would say William Blake should be the first name to mention. Or oh. uh, he was a. I mean, yeah. Artist. I think he was he was he was the only artist uh not present who had a very spiritual uh uh ground into his work. He was a poet, he was a writer, he was an il- illustrator. Uh one of his favorite paintings of mine is uh, the Ancient of Days. Uh it is this yeah. figure with uh who like holds a compass. Uh it's basically God from above holding a comp- a compass looking down. Uh and then other artists will be Kerry James Marshall, what? Uh, William Adolphe, William Kentridge, who is in, uh, from South Africa. Kerry James Marshall is also a Black American artist here in the States. Kahinda uh-huh. uh, Wiley. Uh, you know. Yeah, I saw his show in Seattle, Kahinda Wiley's show. It's nice, really nice, incredible. Nice, yeah. um, uh, William Blake is an artist that I find really interesting. I, I don't want to make this entire, you know, I don't want to r- run this into the ground by nerding out about him. But uh, the fact that you referenced him because he's so deeply right. spiritual, like, and he was incredibly uh, socially conscious mm-hmm. as well. Um, if you look at um, the, um, I, th- I, th- he cared about things that most um, folks in England, you know, didn't really realize were right. important issues for like a hundred right. more years. Um, so he was just way ahead, a prophet in a lot of ways. But his um, his art has so it much does. fire in it. Um, I, I talk about not just the imagery, and I feel like your work has some of that fire as well, a kind of enlightenment fire, Thanks. but also, you know, I'm thinking about one of your works uh that has like little flames above hands Mm -hmm. and um i feel like there's a kind of reoccurring image um i don't know do you feel like talking about anything Uh, there so like i think i think most of those i think that's where my uh my my how do i put this my spiritual influence comes through uh you know sometimes there'll be this 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 bird or owl or a little leaf in between the toes or this like fire or like little cues that speak to uh, uh, 
the, the human spirituality, uh, human growth, the human experience, uh, biblical narratives, uh, you know. So, like, these are, like, little icons that I use throughout the body of my work to tie into my own religious background, you know. Uh, and it's also, like, political in a sense, like, you know, how William Blake himself was very political and also very uh, uh, spiritual in that sense. Yeah. Well, um, I really appreciate uh, talking with you. And I'm just curious as a kind of a final question um, for folks who I'm going to um, connect folks to your work. But I'm just wondering if there's a kind of last thing that you would that you like to say about your work to folks who are um, encountering it uh, for the first time. Is there what do you like to say to them? All right. So I think mo- uh, most of my work speaks to uh speaks to empathy and like the collective human spirit, you know, uh, given that back in the day, I was having a very hard time assimilating and like, you know, living my antisocial life, uh, coming up, uh, having, uh, friends and like being social was very hard for me. Uh, and most of my, the people that I grew up with in, in, in the diaspora who were also Ghanaians were, I think, uh, very judgmental of like how everyone else lived their life. Uh, so me, me finding a way to create multiples of like every subject, like I'll paint myself twice or three times in one composition or I'll paint, I will paint any model three or four times in one composition. So say, uh, the father and the son or the friend and the fool or like uh, the protagonist and the antagonist will be exactly the same person. Uh, that spoke to like, you know, a level of empathy because you had to force yourself to be in the shoes of all these different people who have different personalities, but share the same image. Uh, uh, so it forces the viewer to, you know, s- uh, step into the shoes of all these these people and, and realize that uh, they, they have the power to be like equally good or bad or, or friendly or not uh, and like resonate and, and, and be very much more understanding to, you know, others and where they come from. Uh, in a sense. So this is what my, my most of my work uh, speaks about. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for talking with me and, and talking with the Spectrum uh, Adventist community. Uh, it's, it's been such an honor. Thank you so much. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The king 